Well, if you would turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible and go with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be starting at verse 17 today as we continue in Philippians. Whenever it rains, like it's doing now, and it hasn't rained in a few days, I have this annoying habit of reminding my children to be careful when they're driving on these freshly wet roads. Does your father do that to you? Yes. They think it's annoying. I think it's loving for me to do that. I warn them, be careful. It's been dry, the oil's built up, the rain's falling, the roads are slick, they live on Lookout Mountain, they drive down. I'm, I'm concerned about them, so I warn them every time. They've heard it over and over and over again. But I do it because I love my children. I don't want them to slide off the road into a ditch. I don't want them to slide into somebody else and hurt them. I don't want them to hurt themselves or other people. But Paul loves the church in Philippi. Many commentators say this had to have been his favorite church, although pastors don't have favorites. But this had to have been Paul's favorite church. He has such deep affection for them. Listen uh, to chapter 4, verse 1, which is at the end of today's passage. He says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's just oozes with joy and love and longing and affection for these people. He cares about them. And so Paul is saying, I want you to stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I don't want you to slide off the road into a ditch to destroy yourselves or someone else. I don't want you to lose your footing in your walk with Jesus. I don't want you to stumble and fall out of the race. So I've been telling you in in this last section of my letter, what we call chapter 3, I've been telling you how to stand firm thus in the Lord. Thus means this way. How to stand firm this way in the Lord. And what is the way he's been telling them to stand firm? In the early part of chapter 3, he says, look out for those who say to you that you have to add your doing to what Jesus has already done. Ignore that. That's not true. You glory in Jesus Christ alone and put no confidence in your flesh. That's how you stand firm in the Lord. And then in the next part of chapter 3, he says, nothing matters more than knowing Jesus and becoming like him. If you want to stand firm in the Lord, you have to be convinced that nothing matters more than knowing Jesus and becoming like him. So press on to lay hold of Jesus because he has laid hold of you. That's how you stand firm. And now in verses 17 to 21, Paul has one last way to tell them how to stand firm in the Lord. So let's look at it together, starting in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these, these are sobering words this morning. And, and I pray that you would help me, by the power of your Spirit, to convey the heart of Paul, which is really the heart of Jesus, um, through these words. Help me not to get in the way, but to, to really help us uh, hear what you have to say to us. Hear the warning. Hear the promise. Would you do that by the power of your Spirit in us today, we ask. Amen. What a letter full of love and joy. Joy is mentioned all the time. Paul's love and affection is mentioned over and over again. In a letter full of love and joy, we come to the only place where Paul weeps. In fact, there's only one other place in the New Testament that says Paul wept, and that was in Acts when he wept with the Ephesian elders. What would make an apostle cry? What makes apostles cry? What, what would break the heart of Paul? What would cause tears to flow as he writes to these people that he loves so much? What, I was captured by that question this week. What is it that makes Paul say that even with tears, I write to tell you this. Look what he says in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's what breaks the heart of Paul. Paul weeps at the thought that anyone would walk away from the cross of Jesus. It breaks his heart. And he's worried for these children of his in Philippi. These spiritual children of his. He's worried for them. I don't want you to walk away. I don't want you to follow after folks who have walked away from the cross of Jesus. And so this, this little passage here is, is a weeping warning. It's a weeping warning. And it's all about what is the trajectory of your life? What is the trajectory? Which way are you going? Are you walking toward the cross of Jesus or away from it? And where are you on that path? He starts in verse 17 by saying, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk 
according to the example you have in us, according to the pattern that we've set for you. Brothers, I plead with you, I plead with you as I write this letter with tears, I plead with you, join together in imitating us and walking with us down the path toward Jesus. He just finished last week, we saw, he just finished saying that his one passion, his one hot pursuit is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to become like him, conformed to Jesus in his death, and so one day to be resurrected with Jesus. That's the trajectory. Paul is pleading with them. Come with me down this path. Come with us. Follow us as we follow the path to Jesus. Walk according to our pattern. And then don't follow those who are walking away from the cross. There are many of them. This must have broken Paul's heart. He knew these people. These were people who not only had professed to know Jesus, but were somehow in some sort of leadership position in the churches. Because he's saying, don't walk after them, walk after us. He's contrasting himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus with those people who have walked away from the cross. And they have walked away from the cross until Paul says they've actually become enemies of the cross. People who once professed Christ now are enemies of His cross. So I I think Paul would have us think carefully Carefully, and I want us, Mountain Fellowship, to think carefully because this is a frightening thing. This is a frightening thing that any of us in this room or listening from home, any of us would ever walk away from the cross to the point where we would be called enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the work that Jesus has done on the cross to save sinners like us. And he goes on to warn them by telling them, listen, this is where walking away from the cross is going to take you. This is where you're going to end up. And just as we yell and grab our children by the collar before they step into a busy street, Paul is warning his children, watch out, don't go down this road because the end is destruction. That's where walking away from the cross will take you, he says. Over in 2 Thessalonians, his words were even more clear and frightening. He says, those who do not obey the gospel will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That's where this road will take you, folks, if you start to stray from the cross of Jesus. The end of that road is eternal destruction. And then he tells us what's at the heart of walking away from the cross. What's what's really at the heart? What's going on in the heart of a person who has begun to stray from the cross of Jesus? He says, 
Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Now, this word belly is not necessarily just your gut. Um, the word that's translated belly here is, is tra- translated uh, womb in some places. It's translated stomach in some places. It's translated appetite in Romans 16. And it's translated as innermost being in John 7 when Jesus used the word. What, what's he saying? <laughs> He's saying that at the heart of walking away from the cross is a person who begins to worship what he craves. Is a person who begins to go after satisfaction um, of their soul, of their body, of their cravings. It's about worship. Their God is their belly. The word was translated stomach, so it could be appetite. It could just be food. It could be drink. It could be the pleasures of the good life. The word is translated womb. This could be uh, sexual craving. That they just become obsessed that that's the goal of their life is to be sexually fulfilled. But Jesus used the word innermost being. He used this word to describe the innermost soul of who we are, our very appetite. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said, um, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart, that's the word, Belly, stomach, womb, innermost being. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John says that Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit there. So there's a contrast between these people whose God is their innermost being, whose God is the satisfaction of their cravings, and Jesus using it to say, out of That innermost being flows the Holy Spirit because Jesus is your God. I I, I picture the difference between a sewer and a fountain. You know those those gutters, uh, sewer gutters in your neighborhood where all the water that comes, hopefully, will go into that drain and it just... So the drain is just sitting there, just sucking it all in. Come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in. That's the person whose God is their belly. They're just sucking it all in from wherever they can get it. But Jesus says, those who pursue him, those who drink from him, their innermost being will become a fountain. It's all about worship. He says they glory in their shame. It's all about what you glory in. The very things that they glory in, that they are craving and satisfying their souls with, are actually to their shame. It's very similar to when Paul said, 
earlier, everything I thought was gain was actually loss. So that's what is at the heart of walking away from the cross. Because we haven't just walked away from the cross in our living, we've walked away from the cross in our hearts first. We have begun to seek satisfaction in other things besides Jesus. And then he goes on, what... Before I, before I do that, well, never mind. I'm going to keep going. What's on the mind of those who are walking away? He says they have minds set on earthly things. In other words, they're only concerned with the horizontal, never the vertical. And, and this would be the result of someone whose God is their belly. All they care about is being that drain sewer that's just sucking in from everything horizontally and never seeking satisfaction vertically from God himself. Their minds are set on earthly things. But Paul says that's what it looks like if you walk away from the cross. What does it look like if you're walking toward the cross of Jesus? It's the opposite. Look at, look at what he says. If you if you're walking away from the cross, your end is destruction. It will take you to the punishment of eternal destruction. But he says if you're working, walking toward the cross, skip down to verse 21. The end for that person, the end of the road for that person is that they will be transformed. Their lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul is warning us, stay on the path to pursuing knowing Christ as he is crucified for you. And the end that you will have is you will be transformed to be like him. That's where walking toward the cross will take you. The heart of walking away from the cross is making yourself your own cravings your God, worshiping yourself. But the heart of walking toward the cross is, in verse 20, from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who is our God. We worship Him. And worshiping Jesus looks like waiting on Jesus, not trying to suck up satisfaction from everything here. It's waiting for the satisfaction to come in Christ. Worship of Jesus looks like waiting on Jesus. A longing for Jesus looks for Jesus. It is not satisfied with things down here. It is only satisfied with the one who is coming, the lover of their souls. This is why Paul said, to me to live is Christ, he satisfies me here, and to die is gain is more of Christ. He will satisfy me then. That's what it looks like when you walk toward the cross. You wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised that He will come. You are satisfied in Him now because you know He will satisfy you completely then. And while earthly things are on the mind of those who are walking away from the, cro the cross, the mind of those who are walking toward the cross know that they are citizens of heaven. A citizen of heaven says, I know whose I am and I know where I'm from. 
You know, when I was a kid, um, I lived in North Carolina, and we had some folks move in our neighborhood from Buffalo, New York. New York? Yeah. And they had moved because there was a company in Buffalo that had opened an office in Charlotte, and so all these folks, these families from Buffalo moved into our neighborhood. And as I got to know them, loved them, loved their kids, they were my friends, as I got to know them, uh, they started to tease me about my accent. Um, they asked me how old I was, and I said, nine. And they said, what? I, how old are you? Nine. And they said, nine. I was like, what's wrong with this? Yeah, so I started to be a little embarrassed about my accent. And so I decided I'm going to change it. I'm not going to say nine. I'm not going to say mine. I'm not going to say fine. I'm not going to say time. I'm going to say nine. Fine. It's fine. That's a, you know, mine. What time is it? So I started changing the way I talked and uh, went off to college. And I was proud of myself because people would say, well, where are you from? I'd say, North Carolina. And they would say, wow, I couldn't tell by your accent. Folks, Paul is asking us to be citizens of heaven and to let the accent of our lives show where home is to us. Not to be ashamed of where we're from and to try to change and to have a mindset on earthly things, to try to change our accent a little so we fit in a little better, to try to make filling ourselves up just like everybody else does in the world our goal. That's changing the accent of our lives because we're ashamed of where we're from. Um, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're a citizen of heaven. Um, let the accent of your life be one that says to people, uh, he ain't from around here. She ain't from around here. They're different. There's something at the core of this person that is different. The trajectory of their life is toward another city. It's not camping out in this one, settling here. What Paul said last week in verse 12, Paul said, not that I've already obtained this, this goal of knowing Christ and becoming like Him. I, I haven't obtained it already. I'm not perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me own. Friends, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. Which way are you going? It's not about perfection. It's about progress in the pursuit toward Jesus, toward the cross. So my question for us, Mountain Fellowship, is are we in hot pursuit of knowing Jesus? Are we moving toward the cross and is it shaping what we think about? Is it shaping what we crave? Is it shaping where we make ourselves at home? 
Because, friends, the greatest heartbreak, the greatest heartbreak for any apostle and any pastor and any other person in the church that cares about where God's people are going, the greatest heartbreak is to see them walk away from the cross. I don't want us to go there. And so I ask you, this is, this is my pastoral plea, and I ask myself and I ask all of us, what's the trajectory of our hearts right now? Which way are you going? What's your heart craving? What's your mind set on? And if you find yourself today thinking, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going away from the cross. I'm going away from knowing Jesus and becoming shaped like him. I'm going away from that. I, I see it, Jimmy. I feel it. God is convicting me. If that's where you are, stop. Talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm walking away from you. I feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's where I am right now. Stop and talk to him. Plead with him. And say, Jesus, I want to pursue you. Get a hold of me. Turn me around. And I'm going to start moving in that direction. And then, come talk to me. If that's where you are and you need help doing that, let me know. I'll help you or I'll put you in touch with somebody else who can. But Mountain Fellowship, the question is, which way are we headed? Individually and as a church? Let's pray. Father, um, help us to help us to sense Jesus' heart weeping as he watches so many of us wander from the cross, thinking we're okay, thinking we're all right. I'm just going to take another step. God, would you help us to see where this is taking us? Would you help us to see that our hearts are craving things here and not Jesus? Would you help us see that our minds are consumed and obsessed with things here and not with Jesus and that he is coming back to make us glorious like he is glorious. That's where we're headed. Would you make us a church who is a colony of heaven on Signal Mountain and whose accent shows this community where we're from? Not not out of pride to say we're from heaven and you're not, but no, out of joy to say we belong to Jesus. We press on to take hold of him because he's taken hold of us. He wants to take hold of you. Do you know him? Come, be with us in this colony of heaven. Lord, would you make us that kind of people? We ask in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.